Welcome back to the second episode of our two-part series on the 1920s Hollywood star, Rudolph Valentino, often known as the Latin lover he captivated on screen and off. If you missed part one, you can go back and listen to the episode now. It's on our website, veryvintagepodcast.com, or wherever else you stream podcasts. We talked about Valentino's life, his rise to fame, his untimely death, and the chaotic aftermath surrounding all of those who touched his allegedly cursed ring. So we got a little obsessed with Rudolph Valentino, and we are going to tie up some loose ends today and really dive deep. So without further ado, I'm Rachel. I'm Deborah. This is Very Vintage. Rudolph Valentino, born in Italy and traveled all the way to the United States, first landing in New York, then over to Los Angeles, and unfortunately passing away at the young age of 31. He left a lot of people in his wake, whether it was uh, contract disputes that he had going on or a string of lovers, a string of ex-wives. And I think that even over 100 years later, he sort of broke my heart a little bit. (laughs) Oh, wait, explain. I don't know. I feel like you and I got really obsessed with Rudolph Valentino, which is strange seeing as I barely had a working knowledge of him as a pop culture figure before we got into this. Well, uh, me too. But it's funny. I don't think of it as he's breaking my heart. He kind of brought me to life. He got me real excited in kind of a funny time, you know? Yeah, I guess that, you know, I I think that's a big reason why we even started doing this podcast is that an outlet for some of our weird obsessions. Exactly. Who was it that you got really just enamored with at the beginning of quarantine? Of all people, Jerry Lewis. (laughs) Do you have any idea where the Jerry Lewis obsession came from? I do. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a teenager, I... I first saw The Nutty Professor, you know, obviously the original with Jerry Lewis. There's, mm-hmm. They've done one since then with Eddie Murphy, which is very funny, but it's, it's different, you know, a little bit different. But anyway, um, I remember having such a crush on Jerry Lewis. You know, he plays a du- basically a dual role. And I had such a giant crush on sort of the evil, you know, the evil Jerry Lewis. Of course. And, and you know, so now we're in, in the beginning of quarantine you know, everybody's like streaming this or that, you know, you know, at the end of the night, you just want to be mindless and not think about anything. So I was like, I want to watch that movie because I just remember thinking it was funny and kind of having a crush on him. And I swear to God, the crush came back so hard. I felt like a teenager again. And I watched it like a couple times in a row. But uh, but anyway, it's it's funny. He's really funny. Then I started watching everything I could about him. And I actually read a a, a memoir that he wrote. And then I got interested in him and Dean Martin, you know, together. That's that's how the, he got started. So it just really spiraled out of control. But I feel like I know so much about Jerry Lewis right now. Gosh, definitely episode for another time. Uh, exactly. With, with Jerry Lewis and The Nutty Professor, do you feel like the movie stood the test of time? That's a good question. I think it's just as funny as it was when I was young, but I think a lot of people would find it very sexist. Now, I they couldn't make I feel like they could not make this movie again these days because people would be very offended. Yeah, I've never I've only seen the Eddie Murphy one. Are, are they similar? Similar but different. Okay. All right. Uh, So part of the obsession was the Pink Powder Puffs article mentioned that it was a ballroom, a new ballroom being built on the north side of Chicago that the powder dispenser was getting put into and in the men's washroom. And that's what made 
the Tribune, the Chicago Tribune writer uh, who anonymously wrote that really horrible article about Rudolph Valentino so mad was that this ballroom powder dispenser in the bathroom. I know that you have a theory on which ballroom you think it was. In my fantasy brain, I was hoping that it was the Aragon Ballroom just because it's still there and I've been there several times and it's it's just gorgeous and I you know I could just I feel like I have a little connection to it because I've been there I actually had some magical times there so you told me Aragon Ballroom and it's a place I'm familiar with as well so I started looking and I went on your hunch and I dug around and it turns out that the Aragon Ballroom was built in 1926 which is the year that the Pink Powder Puffs article came out mm, so it's possible. It's more than possible. I, it, did it say what what month it was built? No, no. And I really looked and I, I looked a lot to see if I could find anyone who was able to link the two together. I, and I, I just couldn't. And nowhere was I able to find a news article or and I looked in news archive. I, once again, the research rabbit hole went very deep. And I was really looking around to try to figure out uh, you know, pink powder puffs, Aragon ballroom, Rudolph Valentino, all my all my search things. The other interesting thing that I found was that there were quite a few of these ballrooms built around 1922, and so that's what helped me narrow down with your hunch about Aragon ballroom. And there's a really interesting one that I would love to research more called the Trianon ballroom. It was on the south side, and uh, it, it's like equally as iconic as the Aragon ballroom. But it's gone now, right? I believe so. I believe so. Either it's, I don't know if the structure is gone or if it's just no longer the ballroom, but that is something that uh, I also found some books that I'd like to look into about the ballrooms of Chicago. And I really wonder why that was such a phenomenon in Chicago, especially. Right. And that's now we're going to have to, I mean, I'm I'm actually going to have to do a little research on that. Ugh, the wheels are spinning. So the other obsession that spilled out because of my Rudolph Valentino situation was that as we were doing this research, it was right around Halloween. And because it is the year 2020, all gatherings, for the most part, uh, as they should be, are happening virtually. And I got invited to a virtual Halloween party where costumes weren't just encouraged, they were mandatory. <laughs> and we're, you know, we're, we're leading up to this Halloween party. There's prizes on the line. There were going to be some points and we were going to get separated into teams. And I'm a deeply competitive person. And my boyfriend doesn't want anything to do with having a costume or anything like that. So I'm thinking, like, what could be an easy costume for him? I was like, oh, let's just put him in a suit and call him Rudolph Valentino. <laughs> Perfect. And I really, of all the photos and images and clips and things that we found researching the first episode, the photos that really stuck with me were the ones of Rudolph and his second wife, Natasha Rombova, in the, at the train station, right. where they're like canoodling, waiting for the train. And I just loved the way her hair was. So she's got her hair under a turban. That's a black or dark colored draped turban with a big embellishment right at her forehead. And then she's got her hair on the sides in these two thick braids. And they're like curled up in like very low Princess Leia buns over her ears. And I've always struggled with 1920s hairstyles because I have long hair. And I, I just I haven't had a short haircut since I was like 14. So I loved that I could kind of make this work. And then I've got a nice like 1980s does 1920s dress that I put on. So I went as Natasha Rombova and he was Rudolph Valentino. And naturally, no one had any clue who we were. <laughs> but I did win all the points in my costume category, which did help my team win the virtual Halloween party. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we were 
laying out the last episode and really researching and doing all of that, I have this bad habit of telling anyone who will listen to me whatever I'm interested in at the time. So just like your your uh, Jerry Lewis obsession, uh, I will take whatever thing. In fact, that's how this podcast started uh, is because you and I would call each other all the time with the newest thing that we were obsessed with and right. research it ad nauseum, right? And then we thought, you know, maybe other people might want to listen to this. You know, as I do, I'm just on the phone casually with with my brother. And I mentioned Rudolph Valentino to him. And he's like, oh, did you know there's a Rudolph Valentino cocktail? I didn't know that. I, What's in I, it? Um, so I, I thought he, he, he thought it was like called the Valentino or the Rudolph Valentino. So I started looking it up. And it turns out it is actually called the Blood and Sand. So it is based on the 1922 bullfighter Rudolph Valentino movie. So yes. n- not anything we discussed at the last podcast episode. Apparently that was that was Rudy's favorite movie though. That was his personal favorite. Oh, interesting. I wonder if it's because he got to actually be a European person and not a fake Arab. Could be. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, and so it's pretty interesting just how ubiquitous Rudolph Valentino is in American culture. I feel like every person I talk to has a different impression of Rudolph Valentino. Some know him. Oh, he's the Latin lover. Oh, he's from this movie. Oh, he has the cursed ring. And my brother instantly as a cocktail guy went right to, did you know there's a Rudolph Valentino cocktail? Uh, And he was telling me that the ingredients sound kind of gross when you lay them out together. uh, But when you shake it all up and make it a cocktail, it's actually quite interesting. The cocktail itself first appeared in a 1930s uh, Savoy cocktail book. It's not entirely sure who first made the cocktail or where it originated. Uh, However, it said that it's uh, a lot like a Manhattan. Okay. It's got scotch, it's got brandy and all that. And it has a a citrus twist to it. So it's interesting because I feel like cocktailing kind of goes in and out of favor in pop culture, and there are certain cocktails that get popular and get less popular. It's so true. But the blood and sand is one that never quite comes back all the way unless you're a self-proclaimed cocktail geek, kind of like my brother is. I love it, though. I love that he knew that right away. So the ingredients are equal parts, scotch, sweet vermouth, cherry brandy, and fresh orange juice. And if you really want to make it authentic, you use blood orange juice to get the blood and sand thing going. Mm, That actually does sound delicious. Ooh, yeah, not to me, but I'd be willing to give it a shot. I mean, it's going to be strong for sure. But wait, what, what doesn't sound good to you? Oh, I don't know all of it. I just, I'm not really a dark liquor kind of person. I don't really... Like, or at least I didn't think I liked cherries until I tried a real maraschino cherry at some point. Now I love them. Yeah, just everything about it doesn't seem appetizing, but you're someone who loves cocktails that sort of taste like medicine. <laughs> I guess I do. <laughs> oh, I have made you, um, what's that drink that, that you were really into when you lived here? The rum old fashioned. The rum old fashioned. Yeah, that thing is like... I, I could see that being an old-timey doctor's uh, remedy, uh, an, an elixir that'll cure you. An elixir. Exactly. So the preparation's really simple. You put all those ingredients, the scotch, sweet vermouth, cherry brandy, and fresh orange juice, preferably blood orange juice, in a shaker with ice. You shake it all, and you strain it. You ditch the ice, and you leave it in a chilled cocktail glass. Okay, um, the, the very first thing that I do when the world opens up again is I'm going to go find a place that will make that for me. Oh, my gosh. Can you please go to Musso and Frank? I, th- I mean, that's that's what I was just imagining in my mind. I can't wait. Uh, Deborah, when the world opens up, we're going to go to Green Mill. 
And that's what we're going to drink when we're there. I wish. I mean, if only. I miss the Green Mill. God, I miss it. I know. I drove by it the other day. and uh, Uptown's so beautiful. That whole stretch of Broadway is really lovely. I love it, too. All right. So I wasn't the only one who absolutely fell down a Rudolph Valentino rabbit hole and dressed up his ex-wife for Halloween and had my brother tell me about Rudolph Valentino cocktails. You took it one step further, and you actually went and visited Rudy. I had to. (laughs) I had to go see where he was buried. I was like, how fortuitous that I live in the same city that he's buried. So I convinced an old friend to come with me. And it happened to be on Halloween. It's funny, we were obsessing at the exact same moment. Like as I'm sending you pictures of what I'm seeing, you're like putting, you know, putting your off together as Natasha Rambova. I couldn't not show you the turban as I was putting it together. Because after all, uh, you're the only milliner I know. No, you nailed it. You nailed it. And now you know how now you have a hairstyle that you know will work when you need to do 20s. Mm-hmm. You just stick with that braid, that Princess Leia braid. <laughs> um, you know, you pull in to the cemetery and there's a, a guard and very conveniently they will sell you a map for $5 <laughs> that, you know, actually helps you find, you know, the person you're looking for. There's many, many, like a great many celebrities that are buried there. Which cemetery is this? Oh, it's Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Okay. Yes, an important part of the story. And so, you know, the, so we've easily found him. Rudy's in the Cathedral Mausoleum, and it's Corridor A. It took me a minute to find out where. Um, and he rests just to the side of a beautiful stained glass window. The crypt number, this is another thing that was hard to find. So he's crypt number 1205. You literally have to walk around until you find it. It's a beautiful building, and his spot is beautiful. but. It's you kind of get this sad feeling come over you when you realize that he's entombed in basically a public space, you know, with like it's a shared it's a shared building. And and you think to yourself, like, you know, the the great lover should have his own private grand um, monument. And so um, the reason he's there is you know, he died at a very young age, died at 31. And Mm -hmm. he obviously didn't anticipate dying so young. And he didn't make any hadn't made any funeral arrangements or any, you know, no plans of any kind. And he was also in debt at the time. So there really wasn't money for anyone to purchase, you know, something more befitting to who he was. So right. A friend of his, a screenwriter who actually got him his kind of big break, June Mathis, uh, agreed to basically give up. A, she, she, when she was married, she bought a tomb for herself and a tomb for her husband at the time. And since then, they got divorced. So she offered up her ex-husband's tomb. as, And the plan was it was, it was meant to be a temporary burial spot. You know, so imagine, so Rudolph Valentino dies, it's like the world's freaking out people are killing themselves there's riots going on you know because people want to like get to see his body and they want to you know be part of the the mourning process so in other words they needed a place to to put him they they needed a place they needed this you know to kind of be over so the the plan was it would be a temporary spot and at some point in the future they would figure it out. The plan was that it was meant to be a temporary burial location until a more suitable spot could be purchased. Sadly, that never happened. So it's it's almost like he's in this spot that he shouldn't be in. It's very, very mm. odd. You know, there's just basically like normal people around him. Like not normal, I shouldn't say that, but like unfamous people are just 
it's it, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of like a mass grave in a weird way. It's like a rich person's pauper's grave. Yes. That's what it is. So what ended up happening with June Mathis? Did she get buried in the other spot? Or Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, she's right next to him. It's very sweet, actually. I mean, they were just very good friends, but it's it's interesting. I'm sure she never planned to have him, you know, kind of interned with him, like, for, for all eternity next to him. Not with him, but... Besties for life. Kind of. I mean, it's it's sweet in a way, but it's it's bittersweet. Like, there's just kind of a... You leave with a funny feeling about it. Like, it's, something seems wrong about it. And so that's why some people, they, they have the theory that he's haunting that spot because he doesn't want to be there. Like, he feels like, you know, he should... He deserves something grander. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I'll be I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about ghosts and supernatural stuff. Like it, it certainly intrigues me. And I remember watching those ghost paranormal stuff as a kid on Discovery Channel or whatnot. Uh, but Rudolph Valentino, even more famously than he was an actor, I feel like most people more in our generations know him as the ghost of Rudolph Valentino. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. There's so many locations that people say that they see his ghost. Yeah. So getting back to the cemetery. So one of the spots that people see, seem to see him very oftentimes is going through, a, literally through a wall in the very back of the cemetery. And what's interesting about it is the cemetery shares the, the a wall to, with Paramount Studios. Like, so it's, it's the back of the cemetery, but it's probably the side of Paramount. And so... It's so I actually, of course, I had to go find that spot, right? I was like, I need to see something. I need something to happen. So we we walk over to the wall. I'm kind of staring, looking. I, I don't see anything. But there's this this young couple, this young guy and girl, and they're sitting on a blanket, which is actually truly bizarre that they almost seem to, the cemetery encourages people to just put a blanket down and like sit on graves. It seems very disrespectful to me. Yeah, it really does. That would never happen in Chicago. They would just make you leave. But in, I don't know. They'd shoo you away. They'd shoo you away. But in California, in Los Angeles, everything's super relaxed out here. You know, anything goes. So this young couple, literally, I look at them like with an absolute str straight face. And I say, have you seen the ghost of Rudolph Valentino yet today? <laughs> Like, seriously, not even joking. They look at me with their bloodshot eyes because they look like they were high as a kite. Well, it's legal where you're at. Exactly. But but she, like, looked at me and was just like, no. But, like, I like, I couldn't be more serious about it. Could you even imagine what that date setup is like? Hey, honey, let's go get baked and go hang out at a cemetery. I mean, I, I don't think it... I mean, probably in part it had to do with it was Halloween, but I have a feeling that people do that all the time. You know, uh, Johnny Ramon is there. I think people like hang out at his grave. You know, there's so many people. And it's funny because, um, you know, I talked to a couple of people there that day and they're like, well, obviously it's it's an obvious choice of what, who I'm here to see. And I'm thinking, no, it's actually not like I feel like everyone has their own obvious choice. What were some of the obvious choices that people had? Mickey Rooney was one. Okay. And... Johnny Ramone was another. I'm trying to think of uh, who else. It's funny because once people saw that I had a map in my hand, they were like, hey, can, like, they didn't want to spend the $5. So they're like, hey, can I look oh. at your map? And I was like, hey, how about you take a picture of my map so you don't touch me? <laughs> yeah, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Gross. <laughs> exactly. It's funny. So I had, just have to tell you. So as we're, as we're exiting the cemetery, we stopped at the security gate to ask the guard if he'd ever seen Rudy's ghost. And again, we're all very serious, right? No one's laughing. Everyone's taking this very seriously. He said no, also with a straight face of his own. 
But he says that almost every night when he looks in the, the, the security camera monitors, he says he sees what he called pre-existing energy in the camera. Oh, my goodness. What? Yes. Uh, he said he's, he's even heard knocking coming from the crypts after closing time. Oh, God. And he said one time he decided to knock back. Oh, my goodness. And at that point, I was like, let's go now. Off we drove. <laughs> Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, so Matt and I, when we visited Los Angeles, we decided to try to go on foot as many places as we could. This was last year. And we were walking around and I, I'm not sure if we ended up at Hollywood Forever or, or somewhere else, but all of a sudden, just like in this clearing between all these lots was a huge cemetery. And, you, you know, it was it was quite obvious that a lot of Jewish people were buried there. Uh, just, you know, um, there's this tradition when you go to the gravesite of someone, especially if you typically if you know them, you're supposed to put a, a stone on top. I don't know if you saw that at all. Did you see any um, like tombstones with little rocks on them? I didn't notice that. What does the rock signify? Just that I was here. Oh, I see. Like I came to see you. That's sweet. It's, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty common tradition in Judaism to do that. And so we we had to walk through the cemetery just to get to where we were going. And it was quite open. And then I noticed all the little stones. And so we got closer to, to many of the, because I was kind of curious. I know I've got some family members that have kind of been around Los Angeles. So I was looking for, for familial last names. And... Then when I realized it was kind of open to the public, we went into some of the mausoleums and crypts and stuff, and uh, we heard footsteps behind us at some point, kind of whipped around. There's nobody there, but there was this tiny, weird little door that was now open. Not a door for, like, people. I don't know what it was a door for. Oh, dear. Um, And we got the heck out of there quick. It was very spooky. (laughs) Yeah. So pre-existing energy. Okay. (laughs) I have a friend named Jeff who's very interested in the in the occult and supernatural. And mm-hmm. so I asked him, why would it be that there's been so many different sightings and different spots of Ruto Valentino? Because the way I understood it was a spirit was attached to a certain spot or maybe even a certain person, right? Like, right. let's say a mm-hmm. family member maybe like sort of stays around you to guide you or that sort of thing. So it didn't make sense to me why people could see Valentino in like six or seven different locations around around town. And he said mm-hmm. that there's two different types of hauntings. One is active, which means in theory that the spirit is present in that in that moment. And a residual haunting is where the person somehow left an imprint like energetically when they're alive. So Okay. They might have had experienced like they might have been in a moment where they're experiencing great joy. And because that energy level, the ener- that vibration was so high, it sort of it almost left like a movie, like a, a an image that's just repeated, right? Okay, yeah. Um and and so in an active, it's the actual spirit that's in a, in a location, right? You know, obviously from the other side, but like in a in a in that moment. Uh and the residual is like an energy, like a repeat, like a loop, a loop of the energy of the person from life. And it's interesting because you hear about that sort of like sometimes there's hauntings where it's been like a traumatic death and that's why the person's haunting. So that's right. So that's what you th- you hear of it more that way, like it's a negative energy. But I realize it could also be residual when it's a positive energy. So uh, when when we were doing all this research uh, to to kind of 
talk about the afterlife of Rudolph Valentino, I found this great article on a website. It's losangelino.com, and it kind of counts down your celebrity ghost guide sightings. And they said that Rudolph Valentino is the easiest ghost to find if you are bopping around Hollywood looking to see something. Valentino's spirit was most often seen at his Beverly Hills home, which he adored, and it was known as Falcon's Lair. But this was until 2006 when the home was demolished and something else was built there. So Valentino's sightings continued uh, throughout that time and since 2006 at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, at the Alexandria Hotel, and then very confusingly at the Hollywood Knickerbocker Apartments. And the reason that I say that it's confusing is that those apartments weren't built until three years after his death. And one of the other places that you can often find Rudolph Valentino that's quite interesting because, Deborah, I know you like this place even before we started researching Rudy, um, but that's Musso and Frank. Oh, my God. It's the best place in Los Angeles. What what's it like? I, I mean, I've been, been I haven't been to Los Angeles since you moved there, partially because of pandemic. Well, it's the oldest restaurant in Los Angeles. It just turned 100 years old in 2019, and it's just gorgeous. and And you could feel the history. Um, the Writers Guild used to be across the street. You know, back in the day, early you know early time, early Hollywood days, and so yeah. a lot of writers would show up and you know get inspiration as they're drinking their dry martini. Gosh, can you even imagine the booze-soaked lunches and dinners that happened there? Exactly. I mean, just countless. But there's a story that, you know, when he was working with Charlie Chaplin, I think it would have been at United Artists, at least on one occasion, they had a race, like they they would race their horses down Hollywood Boulevard. The end of the race would be Musso and Frank, and whoever got there last had to pay the dinner and pay for the, pay for the meal. Did you ever see him when you were at Musso and Frank? I wish. I didn't know to be looking for him. Oh, so maybe you saw him and you didn't realize it. It's so interesting. So they say. So many people over the years have, have claimed that they see a handsome, tall, handsome man standing by the ladies' room. He's wearing beige pants and a white shirt, and he gives the, like, the women a bit of like a smile as they're entering the ladies' room. It sounds a little creepy that he's like hanging out by the ladies' room, but the reality was that was the part of the restaurant that back in the day would have been a speakeasy during prohibition and there would have been like gambling and you know so obviously he that would have been a part of the restaurant that he would be privy to back in the day being who he was so it kind of makes more sense oh interesting have you ever seen a ghost i know you haven't seen rudolph valentino but have you seen a ghost yourself i thought i did Mm -hmm. but it's one of those things where it's so weird to to tell people because nobody wants to believe you and they think you're crazy i was at a bar in chicago all of my stories start with that. I once was at a bar in Chicago. Reasonable. It was one of those many Irish pubs. I think it was on Halstead near Belmont. And I was with a couple friends. And I walked to the back of the bar to you know pick out a song on the jukebox. And I was the only one standing there. But I just caught out of my my left peripheral like a figure standing next to me. Like a, a taller, he was he would have been taller than me. And he was sort of, I could see his whole body, but he was somewhat transparent. Almost like if you could picture like a sepia, like he was sort of somewhere between gold and sepia colored. Okay. But I saw every detail of his body, but he was just somewhat transparent. And it was almost like he was looking to pick out a song on the jukebox. Like we were both looking at the same thing. And I could, for whatever reason, it didn't scare me, but it was just like, 
oh my God, like this is this is happening right now. It, and it felt profound. It, it felt very profound. And he was standing there wearing what sort of looked like something casual, you know, almost like he had like sweatpants and a t-shirt or it sort of looked like maybe he was jogging or something like that. So something modern. Very modern. Yeah, actually, okay. yes, very modern. Like, it, like, in other words, it seemed like maybe he had died more very recently. It was like kind of the feeling that I got. But it was almost like the minute I saw him and it registered what I was seeing, then he was gone. Huh. And so I just I walked back to my table and didn't say a damn word to my friends <laughs> because, you know, it's just a weird thing to talk about. You, you have to know that the person's going to at least want to believe you. <laughs> When you know to tell a story like that, yeah, yeah. I mean, that'd be tough to come back and and say that you're picking out a song of the jukebox and you had a spooky experience. Well, people just think you're drunk, you know. You are you are at an Irish bar at Belmont and Halstead, exactly. So, in our obsession, actually, I think it's interesting to note that you're you're obsessed more with the cursed ring, and then once I found out about the hauntings, then I'm starting to obsess over that. So it's interesting how we just each sort of branched off a little bit on. On our interest to him. Oh, definitely. And there were just layers, like layers and layers so to many Rudolph layers. Valentino. Yeah. I and mean, just like his, all his, like the people that he had love affairs with or was married to, it gets you real curious about him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So no, in that obsession, there's, you know, there's so many people that are on YouTube that are, you know, giving their thoughts and their research. And so it's just a fun way to, to learn about something. But um, I came across this paranormal investigator who went to exactly where I went to at Hollywood Forever, went to his crypt and had just regular recording devices, you know, um, like I think a telephone and maybe a, a small recorder. And she was asking him questions. And in the moment, she couldn't hear any responses. But she goes home and and listens to it on maybe our computer or something. And I, I don't know, turned up the volume or I don't know what she did, but somehow was able to get like actually hear him replying. And then she, I mean, it's like, it's kind of mind blowing, but she has to ask, you know, is it you? And he's like, yes, I, I am Valentino. Like you have to ask the spirit, you know, cause, cause spirits can like, from what I heard, can kind of like want to mess with you a little bit. So you have to ask them like direct questions. And she asked, she's like, you know, there's stories that you're haunting so many different locations. Is that true? Or like, how are you, how are you able to haunt this spot? And he basically said, I'm stuck here. Oh, that's so sad. It's so sad. No, it makes me really sad. So that's what makes me think he's maybe, like I said, it felt like he's not supposed to be there. Like I want him to go to wherever the, the next place, you know, far off in the distance or, uh, you know, someplace that he wants to be. But so that's where the residual haunting makes perfect sense to me. Because if he truly is, you know, stuck in the crypts, so to speak, at Hollywood Forever, the other sightings maybe are just residual. Huh, that's interesting. Um, Well, speaking of one of those residual sightings, probably the most interesting place that I read that Valentino haunts uh, and the most COVID friendly because it's outdoors is apparently you can see him riding his horse down Will Rogers Beach with a rose between his teeth like the Latin lover. It's so true. I've heard, I mean, so many people see him and and it's very specific. And it's funny because sometimes he's got he's got a rose in his mouth. And sometimes mm-hmm. he doesn't, but all the other details are the same. It's a white horse, and he's wearing a white shirt, and it's often t- seen with a red rose in his mouth. It was common knowledge that he was dating Marion Davies at one point, 
and mm-hmm. she lived very close to that beach. So in my in my mind, he's maybe it's a residual haunting where he's like there. It's that moment where like maybe he was really excited to go see her. You know, if he did have a rose in his mouth, like he was excited to have whatever this you know exciting date was coming up. And so that kind of explains that in my mind. Oh, yeah. And then the other interesting haunting related thing that I found out about Rudolph Valentino is it's not just Rudy who haunts places, but apparently people have seen ghostly apparitions of one of his dogs at the Calabasas Pet Cemetery. Oh, yes. His name is, uh, I forgot his name already. It's Cobar? It's like Cabal. Cabal. Caban. Cabar. Cabar. Yes. Yes. I, he- I heard that. So he had this beloved dog named Cabar, and he was really close with the dog. In fact, it's been said that the moment that Rudolph Valentino died in New York, the groundskeeper that was taking care of the dog in Los Angeles, where where Rudy lived, like the I guess the dogs just started howling at the exact same moment and was like inconsolable and like just howling and howling and howling. And I guess the dog ran away for like two months. And Rudolph Valentino's brother seems to feel like he was he went to go look for him, like because he, he never oh, he died and never came back. It's really sad, devastating. It's oh. devastating. And so there's he's buried at a pet cemetery, and people have heard him barking, like seen, I suppose, an apparition, and also people have felt him licking them. Oh no, thanks, no, thank you. Right? Can you even imagine? Ugh, ugh. I'm getting I'm getting creepy thinking about all this. <laughs> So there are some more mysteries that still surround Rudolph Valentino, and one is a little less ghostly, but still on the periphery of the paranormal, and that is the Lady in Black. It has been said that starting very shortly after Rudolph Valentino's death, a woman who was impeccably dressed in all black would come and leave roses at his tomb. But those sightings kind of continued through the years. And interestingly enough, people would say that they would hear the heels, the clicking of a woman's heels, high heels behind them. And they would turn around and either she would disappear quickly or she would just not be there at all. So there there were a lot of thoughts that this might have been a publicity stunt to promote the movie The Son of the Sheik because it was still new when he died. And so they thought that maybe uh, that could have played into it. There are lots of theories about who she may have been or, or you know, who she is because apparently people still see her. But Deborah, you've got a little more info on that. As I understand it, Rudolph Valentino had some friends who had a young daughter. She was about 14 years old and she got gravely ill. And um, I guess, you know, the family was pretty afraid that she was going to die and the, the young girl thought she was going to die. So he came to visit her and um, he sat with her and he was, you know, very charming and sweet. And apparently he said to her, you're not going to die at all. You're going to outlive me by many years. But one thing for sure, if I die before you do, you please come and stay by me because I don't want to be alone either. You come and talk to me. And apparently this gal who she later was in the, in the show business, and her name her stage name was Dietra Flame. Apparently she took that, that, she promised him that she would and she took it very seriously. So as I understand it, she was the very first lady in black and she would go religiously, you know, once a year on the anniversary of his death and until she got too sick to do it. I think, you know, from that point, people just, they like the story so much that, you know, there's so many people that sort of recreate her, you know, so like so many people go and dress in black. But um, I do believe she was the first one. And it sounds to me like maybe she's trying to keep her promise even from, you know, the other side. So that's why people like, you know, get the feeling that she's around and hear her her heels clicking and 
she apparently leaves red roses in, uh, you know, where he's entombed, there's a little kind of, there's a vase where you could slide a, you know, a flower in. So apparently from one second to the next, somebody will look away and then a, a red rose will appear in the little vase. So I, I think it's her personally. I found a Los Angeles Times article from 1989 that has a contradiction there. In this article, it opens up with this sobbing woman in black who is at a Hollywood memorial service for Rudolph Valentino 63 years later, right? So it's 1989 and Rudolph died in 1926. And this woman says that she is the daughter of the original woman in black. She says that she's not crying for Valentino at this memorial service in 1989, but in fact, she's crying for a person named Marquesa Delara, who was her mother. Uh, and she said that was the original mysterious woman in black who was a legend for placing flowers at Valentino's grave each year. Delara's daughter said that, that her mother was 15 and Rudolph Valentino was infatuated with her and wanted to marry her. But her family denied Valentino because she was too young. Then, you know, the Marquesa de Lara continued to visit Rudolph Valentino's grave because she was so devastated by the person who she never got to marry. She visited Valentino's crypt until 1973 when she was unfortunately struck and killed by an RTD bus. Her daughter said that she was buried by mistake at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park, and it took 15 years, so from 1973 until 1988, for Delara's remains to be moved to a newly purchased cemetery plot, which was just 100 yards away from Rudolph Valentino's plot. It was interesting to hear that we've got Dietra Flame, we've got Marquesa Delara, and in this 1989 article, they interviewed some of the Valentino fans who were there for the anniversary of his passing. And the Valentino fans say that it's not Marquesa Delara, it was Dietra Flame, even though Marquesa Delara's daughter says it was her. So who knows, maybe it was both. But then an advertising executive named Bud Testa from San Fernando Valley, who would organize the annual Rudolph Valentino Memorial, he said that the woman in black was actually Dietra. So who knows if it was one or the other or both, but we do still have that mystery surrounding our boy Rudy. I mean, it's probably countless people. How many annoying people that made all those comments on the YouTube videos, because I read the comments, yes, um, were probably like, oh my gosh, Rudy. And then every Halloween, just like those kids on the picnic blanket, dress up in all black and go you know, put a rose in Rudy's little vase. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't think to do that. I should have brought a, a flower. I did not think to do that. Well, now you know for next time. So we have the hauntings, we have the lady in black, and there is one big mystery that still is swirling around Rudolph Valentino, and that is his tiger's eye ring that supposedly is cursed. So, you know, I, I'll be honest, in our last episode, some of the research that we did might not have been from the most journalistically sound sources. Like, a lot of it came from blogs and YouTube. And I think my favorite was uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not dot com uh, provided a lot of our Tiger's Eye Ring Rudolph Valentino research. And so I got kind of obsessed with where did this ring go? So quick recap, Rudolph Valentino bought the ring for what he said was uh, that it was going to be great costume for the movie The Young Raja. So he buys it supposedly in San Francisco. He's told that it's cursed. He doesn't care. He wants it anyway. And then 1926 rolls around. He dies. It then goes to his girlfriend, lover, Pola Negri. She gets really sick. She thinks it's the ring, takes it off, gives it to a Rudolph Valentino lookalike named Russ Colombo about eight years later. He dies. His friend gets the ring. 
the friend dies, then the friend's brother gets the raise. So it's this whole crazy thing. And at the end of the day, at least five deaths can be tied back to this ring. Unbelievable. Right? So the ring ends up in a bank vault, supposedly. And then it gets lost. I read that possibly a barber in New York, specifically in Brooklyn, ended up with the ring. I don't know if you saw anything about that. I didn't. So while I was researching, I have a little confession. I'm one of those people that reads comments on blogs and on YouTube videos. Like I just, I know sometimes that they're going to be really awful, but I've got to read the comments. Like instinctively, I open a clip or I open an article and I scroll right down to the, the comments before I even get through the article sometimes. Interesting. Um, I do that with recipes too because I feel like I want to know if somebody substituted something or something did or didn't work out. So I always go straight to the comments. I feel like that's where you get the real info is in the comments section, unfiltered. (laughs) So I'm reading this article about Rudolph Valentino's cursed ring and it's the same information, the stuff that we saw at Ripley's, the stuff from the YouTube videos kind of condensed into this article. But the comment section is is popping. Like, there's a lot of comments. And there's a comment from 2018. And it's uh, by a guy named Ken. And I'm going to read you the comment, but I'm going to change a name. And I'm going to make the location a little bit more vague because I don't want uh, people trying to kick up any dust that we don't want. So Ken says on this blog post, I know where the ring is or was. And this is where I changed the name. He says that a guy named Larry, name changed, who lives in Louisiana, in South Louisiana specifically, but I won't say the name of town, obtained the ring from a barber in Chicago, not New York. And that barber had the ring displayed in his shop before giving it to my friend Larry. Ken says that he even saw the ring himself. Larry died of natural causes, and Larry's wife now refuses my contact regarding the ring. That was five years ago. I was a pallbearer in his funeral, and I inquired about the vanished ring again and again until I was no longer welcome. Wow. Right? So if it was uh, five years ago, the comment was made in 2018, so that would have been 2013. And I got a little suspicious, right? This Ken fella is talking about Larry, name change. So I looked up the town in Louisiana, and I looked for this guy. And lo and behold, I found an obituary, and I was reading through the obituary, and they list the next of kin. They list some things about this guy. And wouldn't you know it, they have the names of the four pallbearers, and one of them is named Ken. So who has it now? Supposedly, Larry, name changed, uh, his wife has it. And I, I'm so sorry in advance to his family. I'm not going to say the names, but I looked her up too. She is a real person. She still lives in that town in Louisiana. Um, and, and according to Ken, she's got the ring. God, don't you want to contact her? I do. And and he also has adult children, too. Um, And I looked it up. And so Larry, as we're calling him, was a bit of a prominent figure in in Louisiana and South Louisiana, as was this Ken guy. They were both tangentially related, right? Uh, Kind of in the periphery. They weren't actors, but they were in the entertainment space. And Ken even has a background in kind of magic a little bit. I don't know. I looked at his website Mm. just a bit. Because I kind of want to reach out to Ken, too. Through that obituary, I found his full name. But, you know, we are just amateur vintage sleuths. So I don't know. That just – it seems like a tree I don't really want to bark up. Because at the end of the day, you left a blog comment two years ago about an incident that happened in 2013. So I don't know, like, you know, what ends up coming of this? Like, if I found the ring, right? So say I – figure out where the ring was. I go to Louisiana. I find the ring. Maybe I, 
like, would you even wear it, Deborah? Like, what would you do if you had the ring? Oh, my God. I mean, if it wasn't cursed, I would be, yeah, I'd be down to, I'd love it to look at it, you know, something that Rudolph Valentino owned. But the fact that there's just too much coincidence. Let's put it this way. I, I don't consider it a coincidence that all these bizarre deaths, you know, happen w- while the ring was in the owner's, you know, that person's possession. So no, I would not wear it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not nearly as superstitious or um, like kind of tuned in to some of that supernatural stuff as you are. But I still, I just feel like there are so many things about the world that I just don't understand. And that's something that I think there are mysteries better left unsolved sometimes. And I would like to leave this nice lady in Louisiana alone. But uh, it did, it did kind of give me some satisfaction to say, you know, I I think we know where this is now. No, it's very satisfying. Excellent work. Thank you. Thank you. I had to put my little Nancy Drew hat on. And when we started this journey, I had no idea that this was where it was going to take us. And it's been a lot of fun. And I think that this is why people really love podcasting, especially research type podcasting, because I was just turning over stones that I I never would have considered a few months ago before we, we went down this path. I mean, I have to admit, I'm I am not, I don't consider myself a researcher at all. I mean, I'm a creative person. I mean, I'd much rather spend my time creating, but, um, you know, this was really fascinating. This definitely sparked my interest. And, and I think we'll have, you know, other episodes in the future that are going to be just as, as interesting. Definitely. And I felt like as I researched, I kept finding more and more things like, you know, things about Natasha Rombova, things about some other incidents in Rudolph Valentino's life that could be entire episodes all on their own. With that, I think we have discussed Rudolph Valentino's life afterlife and everything in between to a great extent. So hopefully everyone has gotten a little bit more information than when they started uh, about Rudolph Valentino. We really are enjoying doing these podcasts for you all, and it would mean a whole lot to us if you have feedback. You can contact us through our website, veryvintagepodcast.com. If you are an Instagram user, we are at veryvintagepodcast on Instagram. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave us a five-star review wherever you found us. It means a whole lot to us when you spread the good word of our podcast. You can share a link to your favorite episode on a Facebook group, on a subreddit, or just anywhere on social media. Tell your friends about what we're doing. Word of mouth is the best way to get our podcast out there. Deborah, when you are not busy chasing Rudolph Valentino's ghost or making gorgeous headwear, where can we find you? You can find me at millineryetc.com and Deborah Shirley 1111 on Instagram. Fantastic. And you can find me, Rachel Manning, our Very Vintage Podcast Instagram. Uh, just hit up our DM and don't forget to share posts that you like. You can find our podcast on our website, veryvintagepodcast.com. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, just about any streaming podcast site that you can find. Thanks for listening.